Alhamdulillah Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen Hamdan yuafi ni'amahu wa yukafi'u mazidah Wa ashadu an la ilaha illa Allah La ma'buda bihaqqin siwah الذي أحاط بكل شيء علما لا تخفى عليه خافية يعلم السر وما تخفي الصدور وأشهد أن سيدنا وحبيبنا وعزيزنا وقرة عيوننا محمد صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم عبده ورسوله يا أيها النبي إنا أرسلناك شاهدا ومبشرا ونذيرا وداعيا إلى الله بإذنه وسراجا منيرا من يطع الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا مضل له ومن يعص الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا هادي له اللهم اجعلنا من الذين يستمعون القول فيتبعون أحسنه أما بعد Dear committed Muslims, brothers and sisters We've been on a journey in the past maybe seven or eight months, more or less, trying to take a closer look at the serious mental impediment that became as such because of the overemphasis of basically private and individual choices. The schools of thought that we have are, we try to explain all valid and as much as possible Muslims should consider themselves all equal regardless of their fiqh or their ijtihad. (coughs) Now that hopefully if we've fermented these khutbas of the past months we can move ahead and try to pay mental attention attentive thinking to the area that has been left out of our public mind Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in surah al-ma'idah al-yawma akmaltu lakum deenakum 
وأتممت عليكم نعمتي ورضيت لكم الإسلام دينا This ayah tells us that the mission of Allah's Prophet and the 23-year course of revelation have come to a conclusion. They've come basically to the end of the Islamic effort of self-determination. الْيَوْمَ أَكْمَلْتُ لَكُمْ دِينَكُمْ وَأَتْمَمْتُ عَلَيْكُمْ نِعْمَتِي وَرَضِيتُ لَكُمُ الْإِسْلَامَ دِينًا So where if all of us are tuned in to the Prophet's lifetime of struggle and those years of fulfillment when the Qur'an was being revealed. So what happened? Why have we become what we are today? It wasn't an issue of schools of thought. At that time there was no fuqaha, the ones today that all the Muslims follow in as far as the details and particulars that are included in each madhab. So where do we begin? With a calm mind and a stable heart. Where do we begin? The Prophet of Allah, may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him and those who were and are with him passes away. Salawatu Rabbi wa salamuhu And now what happens in the Muslim the Muslims that were around him just yesterday what happens is a moment in or a day in our history that we, we've had over 14 centuries to think through this. But what happened was that this, these particular times that almost all the Muslims argue among themselves about it, not giving it, giving it their mind as much as they give it their emotions. So what happens in these, and I've covered this territory, I think with some detail, in a sequence of previous khutbas, but what happens is the Muslims feel like there's a vacuum at this moment. And they want to try to fill in this vacuum before, and excuse my loaded word, before all hell breaks loose.
Unfortunately, the way we Muslims look at it, because we haven't thought about it, we've just commiserated about it. What happened was that when the when Allah's beloved Prophet والسلام, when he passed away there was the tribalism the nationalism the racism the ethnicism the sexism all of these isms that are living with us today what do you think they didn't exist in human society they were there and these individuals who were around the prophet or the social blocks that were around the prophet called al-muhajirin and al-ansar they were aware of all of this so some individuals were afraid that this social reality is going to overcome the message of Allah's Prophet. The 23 years of Allah's struggle is going to be attacked by a combination of these isms. This wasn't an issue between Omar and Ali, like our simplistic Muslims think today. It wasn't that. It was an issue of how to retard, how to repel the forces that were waiting for the opportune moment to undo 23 years of Allah's Prophet's struggle. And Al-Muhajirun and Al-Ansar, these are Quranic designations. No historian speaks about these people or coined the term for these people initially. It was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who categorized these two groups of people as supporters of Allah's Prophet with the differences among them. doesn't mean if they were supporting Allah's Prophet they didn't have their differences. They did have their differences. And the first indication of this of these differences was when the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam passed away. That's when this character began to appear. So what happened? Without going through the details that were covered previously, Al-Ansar said to the Muhajireen, Antumul Umara wa nahnul wuzara. You are the decision makers and we are the administrators. That's roughly in today's language, that's what that means. So now, potentially, forget about the munafiqeen and forget about the very committed Muslims. This was the first obstacle that was surmounted because of the virtue of their struggle with Allah's Prophet. During this time, what happened, and I'm also skipping the details that I covered in previous khutbas, and these khutbas were were years ago before the poison of sectarianism began to kill us in the past 
7, 8, 10, 15 years. We, by Allah's grace and Allah's guidance, we preempted, at least mentally, we preempted the confusion and the traps that are set into motion today. So what happened in that moment when Al-Ansar conceded to the Muhajireen there was like a, an attempt in split second time to find someone who can fill in this vacuum. And what happened was, Omar goes to Abi Ubaidah al-Jarrah and says to him, Anta aminu hadhihi al-ummah. And this is a sentence taken from Allah's Prophet. He didn't make this up. You are the trustworthy member or individual of this ummah. The Prophet's words, not Omar's. Omar was just repeating what the Prophet said. And he declined. He said, no, I will not assume such responsibility. And then Omar goes to Abi Bakr and he tells him, you are the Siddiq of this Uman. Once again, these are the Prophet's words. These are not Omar's words. He said, you are the Siddiq of this Ummah. Siddiq is when most of the those Muslims, when the Prophet of Allah went on his journey of Al-Isra and Al-Mi'raj, and some people questioned the truthfulness of this journey, and the, Prophet, the, the companion of the Prophet Abu Bakr said, I believe him when he says that he is receiving revelation from heaven. So why cannot why can't I believe him if he said he went to heaven? And from that time he was called a Siddiq. So it appears this is an area in history where there's a lot of give and take. But it appears that there was an agreement for him to assume this responsibility and fill in the vacuum. And this wasn't an easy task because the words that were exchanged between them in the presence of the Muhajireen and Al-Ansar to the exclusion of Al-Imam Ali and others who were in the process of preparing the funeral rites for Allah's beloved Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wa Alihi Wasallam So they came to an agreement, a bay'ah and to skip the other details that we covered. Now, brothers and sisters, this is that what I'm speaking about is what we are supposed to be thinking about, not emotionalizing about. We're supposed to be thinking about this. How did this unfold that resulted in the divisions that we have in today's Muslim world? So, after some give and take, those who were present, they went to Abi Bakrin and they shook his hand 
and they pledged their fealty, their loyalty to him. Al-Imam Ali, alayhi salam, he waited. He did, he did not immediately give his bay'ah or his loyalty to Abi Bakr. Now, there's an issue of how long he waited. Some people say it was a matter of days, and then he went and he endorsed Abu Bakrin. Some people say, no, it was a matter of months, six months, as it is mentioned in history books. But the final result was he, why, this is the area in which our enemies find to be a gap in our public mind and they move into this area but the fact of the matter is he endorsed Abu Bakrin to be the leader of the Muslims he had all the right in the world to refuse to endorse him and for those today who have a sectarian bent they should know that Al-Imam Ali alayhi salam takes issue with them when they say Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman stole, that's the word they use, they stole his right. They would have been, these would have been right if Al-Imam Ali did not give his endorsement. He gave his endorsement. So why use that word? We want to take the sting out of the attitudes of these types of individuals. Don't let them get away with this type of language. So the Muslims agreed with the details and the differences among them. Not to the division of fighting among themselves. Remember, they disagreed, but they didn't fight. In today's world, you disagree, you fight. You as a Muslim, you disagree with another Muslim, then you fight the other Muslim. They didn't behave like that. That was a prophetic generation. They were more mature than these sectarians that we've been plagued with among us. And then after Abi Bakrin came Omar. And this was also to read the fair part of history this appointment of uh, uh, by Abi Bakr of Omar this appointment was done after Abu Bakr solicited the points of views of those influential individuals in the Muslim society. Now I have to mention here, there's an issue among we the Muslims, Sunnis and Shiites, there's an issue that has not been settled in all of these years. And the issue is summarized in a couple of sentences. And that is, the mainstream Sunnis, they think, that most of the society of that time was a mu'min society. 
On the other side, most of the Shi'is believe that mainstream Shi'is believe that most of the society at that time was a munafiq society. This is a problem. And none of them is right. I don't take comfort in saying this. I get a lot of fingers and a lot of accusations coming my way, but I have to speak my conscience. Both of them are wrong. The Shi'is have to step down and concede that there were more committed Muslims in that society than Munafiqs. If they can't do that, there's going to remain a serious divide among the Muslims. And the Sunnis have to come down and confess to the fact that there was a considerable number of munafiqeen in that society. If they can't do that, we're going to continue to bleed with this sectarianism. I'm sorry to say this. I don't say it comfortably, but I have to express my conscience on this issue. And let, and let the cookie crumble as it may. The truth has to take its course. We may be pioneers here. Maybe in the next generation or in the generation after that, the Muslims, Sunnis and Shi'is will wake up to this fact. After Omar Uthman assumes the leadership of the Muslim society, And here's where we begin to encounter very difficult issues because those isms that I spoke about, nationalism, tribalism, racism, ethnicism, classism, genderism, all of these now found a way into the administration of the elderly Uthman, especially his family. Here is where we Muslims are going to put, have to put aside our emotions and we're going to have to calmly and comfortably approach the information that we have available to us about that era when Uthman ruled. The first six years, everything was more or less in balance, more or less, I emphasize the word more or less, in balance. In the second six years, he ruled for 12 years, in the second six years of his reign, those subterranean social forces, they began to occupy positions of decision-making in the Muslim realm, in Jazeera al-Arab, the Arabian Peninsula, and in Egypt, and in Iraq, and all over the place. This is where we began to encounter our serious problems. Now remember, up until now, no Muslim was arguing with another Muslim, where are you putting your hands in prayer? 
Are you putting him in front of you? Are you putting him to your... None of this. I challenge anyone to go to any book to prove, not to me, to prove to the public that Muslims were arguing the issues that they argue today. None of them. So Uthman gets assassinated because of the, the last six years of his administration. There was so much injustice that perked up into the different communities and societies around that action was taken and fortunately he was assassinated while he was reading the Quran now I want to bring to your attention something very important that many Muslims keep out of their mind and that is these leaders of the Muslims they didn't have any guards they didn't have any security contingents. They didn't have any security details. They didn't have, you know, people guarding them. If you want to see them, you have to, you need permission. And all. The things that we have today, for those who attack these rulers, look at the rulers today. Are they as open as those rulers were? They gave their lives for in their own world trying to do their best but they didn't have any of these things come uh, around them if you want if you think that you are right and you have the freedom to attack them take today's world and the previous 1400 years after beginning with Muawiyah and onwards show me a ruler who doesn't have any guards. Show me a ruler who goes and prays in the masajid with the rest of the Muslims without any guards. Show him to me. If you can't, then be very careful not to criticize these who died when they had no protection because they had a conscience with them. And from here on now, we have this divide. The Sunnis and the Shiites. It had nothing to do with these fiqhi issues. Abu Hanifa, al-Shafi'i, Malik, Ibn Hanbal, Imam Ja'far al-Sadiq, Imam Zaid. None of these, among many others. For your information, there were hundreds of fuqaha. These were the eight to ten fuqaha who we still have in our memory today. Their fiqh is still followed by a considerable number of people. But there were hundreds of them. They weren't around when all of this happened. We're speaking when Uthman was assassinated. None of these fuqaha were around. But there were differences among Muslims. And the differences were serious differences. And up until now, there was no war among Muslims. There was no sectarianism among Muslims. None of that. Which we have today among us. So we had two, now, we had two camps of Muslims. After Uthman was assassinated, the majority of Muslims, I underline the word majority, the majority of Muslims 
gave their loyalty and their fealty and their allegiance to Imam Ali alayhi salam. I know the way I'm wording myself is causing bells to ring in the sectarian minds, as they should. I don't want a sectarian to feel comfortable. I want every sectarian to boil inside himself before he kills another Muslim. The majority of Muslims gave their bay'ah to Imam Ali alayhi salam. But those, that deep state, the entanglement of nationalism with tribalism, with ethnicism, with classism, etc. That deep state now mustered all of its jahili background and used an excuse. They wanted revenge for the blood of Uthman. That was an excuse. They're hiding behind excuses here. And if they were to apply, there's a hadith from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam that says, if you, the Muslim society, if you agree to an imam and there's another person claiming the leadership of the Muslims, then you do away with him. This is exactly what's happening now at this point in time. Imam Ali is the leader of the Muslims, is the imam of the Muslims. Why is there someone else using an excuse that someone else is Muawiyah and trying to steal legitimate authority from a legitimate leader? Why? Because there's a deep state involved and it was supportive of him. And now from here on we had the Muslims divided we had the the battle of al-jamal we had the battle of safin and now those who are supportive of al-imam ali they because of what happened in safin it's called the agreement to arbitrate the difference at tahkim what happened was among the followers of Imam Ali, there was a group of people who disagreed, said, Tahkim is not what we should be doing. They're fooling us. And skipping the details here, because we covered it some years ago in a series of khutbas, what happened at this time is we had Muslims who, as we said, were never arguing about the issues we argue today, such as Someone says in the salah, ala khayr al-amal. Someone doesn't say it in the adhan. So what's the big deal? Becomes a matter of... Th- these were not issues. These did not appear on the radar of that time. This tahkim, Abu Musa al-Ash'ari and Amr ibn al-As, and once again, the deceptive side showed their hand. 
Amr ibn al-As lied to Abu Musa al-Ash'ari and that lie caused further deterioration among the Muslims. So now we had a third camp or a third party called al-Khawarij. And so the differences were about who is to rule, the qualifications for a ruler, and the method of ruling. It had nothing to do with the fiqhi details that right now, because of Muawiyah all the way to the rulers of Saudi Arabia today, are trying to cause fitna and division among the Muslims. And within these camps, there were different trends and different ideas. And we're going to skip over those. And some of the trends and ideas, look, let me, let me summarize it like this, because there's so many details here. And we don't have enough time to go into those details, but let me summarize it like this. The Sunnis say that the Ummah of the Prophet cannot reach an invalid consensus. لا تجتمع أمتي على خطأ which means it's an indirect way of saying that the ummah is infallible. The problem with this is who has ever from that time until now, from the time of Muawiyah until now, who was ever able to see what the consensus of the ummah is? There's so much zulm, there's so much divisions, there's so much separation of people that it's impossible to see what the consensus of the ummah is. It's impossible. Even today, with all the technology that we have, it's impossible for you to gauge the consensus of the ummah. So the infallibility of the ummah is moot. The Shi'is, on the other hand, they say that the Imams are infallible, meaning the infallibility is in one individual. From the Sunnis who say the infallibility is in, in today's world, two billion Muslims, to the Shi'is who say the infallibility is in one person. And where is that one person in today's world? We'd like to go to him and seek him out and have him but he's not around so both sides whether you're a Sunni or a Shi'i due to your own self logic that infallibility is is impossible We're trying to say this. I know the the voice is loud because we're in the street. If we were sitting inside a masjid, 
the voice would have been more calculated. It wouldn't have been at the high pitch it is at. But is what, what is meant from all of this, ittaqullaha fi kitabillah wa fi rasulillah wa fi itrati rasulillah wa fi awliyaillah ittaqullah don't be very hasty in drawing in rushing to judgment aqulu qawli hadha wa astaghfirullaha li wa lakum ud'uhu subhanahu وأنتم على يقين بالإجابة وتوبوا إلى الله غافر الذنب وقابل التوب شديد العقاب وإليه المصير الحمد لله بجميع المحامد على جميع النعم وصلى الله وسلم على المبعوث خيرا ورحمة وهدى لكافة الأمم محمد النبي الأمي وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم Dear committed Muslims, brothers and sisters It's quite a transition to speak about issues that have to do with justice. The khutbahs on Friday should be khutbahs centered around justice and exposing those who are instrumental in a world system of injustice. You don't find that in our Friday khutbahs which means our Friday khutbahs are still dynastic and monarchic khutbahs they are not khutbahs that can be traced to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam now if we were to deal with some issues of justice in today's world we will begin with Oh Allah, this is a world that is full of people who have power and wealth who are violating your standards and your values, your principles and your revealed word. And obviously when we focus our attention on some of these wrongdoings, It is our hope and our anticipation that the outcome of this will be justice done on earth sooner or later. A foreign minister, the foreign minister of Oman, this is news, brothers and sisters, nothing new here that I'm telling you, it's news, it's out there. The foreign minister of Oman, to set the stage for the deal of the century that is concocted here in Washington with the different agencies and departments of this establishment 
He says, I quote, Israel Dawlatun min Dualil Mintaka. He says, Israel is a state just like the other states in this region. And then he says, وَنَحْنُ وَالْعَالَمُ جَمِيعًا نَعْرِفُ وَنُدْرِكُ هَذَا We and the whole world knows this and understands it. Now, what a beautiful introduction to what is being planned. Certain Arabian regimes are on the verge of exchanging recognition with the Zionist colonizers of the Holy Land. Then he goes on to say, رُبَّمَا حَانَ الْوَقْتُ لِإِسْرَائِيلَ أَنْ يَكُونَ لَهَا مَا لِلْدُوَلِ الْأُخْرَى Maybe the time has come for Israel to have what other nation states have. وَيَكُونُ عَلَيْهَا مَا عَلَى الدُّوَلِ الْأُخْرَى And to be responsible to bear the burden which other nation states bear. Why is he saying this at this time? They're taking advantage. Muslims are sleepwalking themselves into the afterlife. We in this world... We're not attuned to the real issues, especially on a day like this, on a Friday, when taqwa should be our foremost concern. No, no one has a taqwa of Allah. They have a taqwa of some weapon system. They have a taqwa of some superpower. They have a taqwa of some tycoons. He goes on to say, this is, you heard it from Oman, from Oman first. If this trend continues, we're going to have the same voices, express the same types of voices expressing the same ideas. And don't be surprised if in the near future, someone is going to ascend the minbar in Mecca and give us a roundabout khutbah to express what is being frankly said here. He says what? This is still the foreign minister of Oman. The Torah has come from the Middle East. And the prophets of Bani Israel are from the Middle East. وفي التاريخ الإسلامي كان اليهود موجودين حتى في المدينة المنورة. And in Islamic history, Yahud existed even in enlightened Medina. وأننا في عالم متطور. We live in a fast developing world. Then he goes on, he's not finished yet. Israel tamliku min al imkaniyat ma biha tastafid wa tufid. Israel has the wherewithal from which 
it can gain benefits and it can grant benefits. في هذا مصلحة كبرى للفلسطينيين والإسرائيليين. In this, there is a major interest to be had by Palestinians and by Israelis. We think this foreign minister needs a refresher course on the prophets of Allah. There was no Anbiya Bani Israel. You go to the Quran, there are prophets in the Quran. Those prophets are not the prophets of Bani Israel. Banu Israel, they stole the history of these prophets and they claimed that the prophets belonged to them. And this foreign minister who prays just like everyone prays, every Muslim prays and fasts, like every Muslim fasts and performs his individual responsibilities like every Muslim performs their individual responsibilities and look at what he's saying. It only takes the Umawi Saudi ritualization of Islam to have decision makers like this get away with plots and conspiracies that are unfolding in front of our own eyes. Just this past week or so, Saudi Arabia said it's not going to accept Palestinians who are traveling to perform their Hajj and their Umrah. Why? Because Palestinians who are traveling there are traveling on Jordanian travel passes. These are temporary travel documents. And Saudi Arabia says it's not going to accept that anymore. So what are you going to accept? What do you want the Palestinians to do? To obtain Israeli citizenship? You're telling the world that you're going to legitimize Israel by forcing the Palestinians to obtain Israeli passports? This is happening. And Muslims don't want to speak about this. Why? You're afraid of what? Of the truth? Remember, Quraysh forbid the Muhajireen in Al Madina from performing their Hajj in Mecca. It's almost the same mentality. The Mushriks of Mecca had a policy that the Israelis and the Saudis have today. But who's going to disclose this? Who's going to make the connection? Who's going to express this for the Muslim public mind? Saudi Arabia. This week there's a book exhibition in Algeria, in Algiers. Al-Jazair. The Saudi wing of that exhibition has been abandoned. No one is going to it. And we say, Alhamdulillah, after all of these years, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made it possible for the average Muslim to begin to see through the religious camouflage and the chickenry of the Saudi royals.
يا رب لك الحمد ليلا ونهارا أولا وآخرا And then this MBS as he is known now the adolescent ruler in Arabia the one who's putting countless committed Muslims behind bars there was a rumor a few weeks ago one of the prominent Islamic scholars in Arabia Safar al-Hawali had passed away news just came out a couple of days ago he's still alive we don't know he's in the dungeons of these crooks and criminals what do you say about a, 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 a prince a crown prince who puts his own mother in jail just a few years ago and now we have this Khashoggi affair and its ramifications and then he was visited as we said in the last khutbah by evangelical Christian Zionist Americans some of them by the way have American and Israeli citizenship the head of that delegation Joel Rosenberg he's a dual citizen American Israeli they, when they want to invite Christians, they invite the wrong Christians. He says, MBS says to this evangelical Zionist delegation, he says to them, the Khashoggi issue should be minimized because there's a larger threat, and that threat is Iran. He criticized to the Zionist Christians, he criticized Erdogan, the Iranians, and the Russians. He tells them, we've arrested 18 suspects in the assassination of Khashoggi, and we, ex- we fired five from their jobs because of this. He tells the Zionist Christians who are fervent supporters of the occupant of the White House, he tells them our enemies are Iran, Al-Ikhwanul Muslimun, Hezbollah, Hamas. We don't know if he said Al-Qaeda and Daesh. Some news reports say yes, some news reports say no. But something not many people know, there was a a survey in Saudi Arabia that was kept from the public eye and that survey showed that 80 to 90 percent of Saudi citizens are strong supporters of Daesh of Isis this MBS sometimes leaks what is supposed to be confidential information he's still an adolescent in politics he leaks out information says we have 200,000 Daeshi types in our country in this kingdom and we can let them loose whenever we want to who is he trying to threat threaten what is he trying to say does he know what he's saying 
Then they spoke about the warming relations between Riyadh and Tel Aviv. This conversation continued for two hours. The part that had to do with the Palestinian issue, MBS tells the evangelical Zionists, keep this under wraps, this is secret. The information that we just exchanged should not become public. Then he divulged something that we didn't know before, but he said there was an assassination attempt against him coming from Egyptians who are in northern Sinai. Then he bad-mouthed, he used offensive words, more or less, against Jamal Abdel Nasser and Imam Al-Khumayni. He said that both of these individuals destroyed this region that we are in. And they were the reason for the serious problems that we are suffering from nowadays. Then he receive, and then he releases Khalid ibn Talal, the brother of Al-Walid ibn Talal. He releases him from prison. What, the pressure is growing on you now? You realize you have to release some of these detainees? Some of the other issues that we Muslims have to factor in our taqwa about. There is now a motion in the Egyptian parliament to ban an niqab women from wearing an niqab in public. Now I'm not a fan of a niqab, but I'm a fan of a Muslim's freedom. No government should be able to tell a Muslim woman who, according to her understanding of Islam, she should wear a niqab. With my disagreement with a niqab and with anyone else's disagreement, it's not the government's business to tell a Muslim woman not to wear a niqab. And then the Pentagon, it distributed a booklet, I think 68 or 69 pages, among its troops in the Arabian Peninsula to, f- to familiarize them with the society there. And in one of its pages, it says that many Saudis hail from African descent and they use the word niggers in that booklet. Now you'll know, no one's going to mention this in public. And this normalization of relations between Arabian regimes is on a fast pace now. The latest news in the past 24 hours, the government of Bahrain is formally, officially inviting the economy minister of the Zionist colonialists to visit Bahrain. And now it's been made legal for Bahraini citizens to go and visit colonized Palestine. In other words, they can enter into Israel. There's no problem there. 
Brothers and sisters, if we don't, if we don't begin to think like mature Muslims, the hammers will begin, will, will continue to pound us from one catastrophe and one calamity to the next. Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan warzuqna attiba'ah wa arina al-baatila baatilan warzuqna ajtinaba wa tajalhu multabisan alayna wajalna lilmuttaqina imama Rabbana innana sami'na munadiyan yunadi lil-eeman an aminu birabbikum fa'amanna ربنا فاغفر لنا ذنوبنا وكفر عنا سيئاتنا وتوفنا مع الأبرار ربنا وآتنا ما وعدتنا على رسلك ولا تخزنا يوم القيامة إنك لا تخلف الميعاد ربنا صل وسلم وبارك على محمد وآل محمد وصل وسلم وبارك على إبراهيم وآل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون وأقم الصلاة Allah, Allah, Allah,